Hey. My, my, my name is Tony Thaxton. Like anyone else, I love a great album. But I also love those strange albums that might make you wonder how and why they even exist. But, but, but I'm not here to make fun of them. I'm here to celebrate them and t- t- tell their story. This is Bizarre Albums. Today's episode, The Monsters from 1964. That, of course, is We Got the Beat, the most successful single by the 1980s new wave band The Go-Go's from their 1981 IRS Records debut album, Beauty and the Beat. It went double platinum and is one of the most successful debut albums of all time. It even spent six consecutive weeks at number one. To this day, they're the only all-female band who wrote their own songs and played their own instruments to hit the top of the Billboard album charts. But did you know that 17 years earlier, there was another band that called themselves the Go-Go's? He doesn't wear fancy clothes like other guys do, and he doesn't have blonde hair, eyes are blue. But when it comes to football, now you better watch out, because many Saturday comes, you're going to hear him shout, Everybody knows we're going to win today. That's a song called Saturday's Hero, released on RCA Victor in 1964 by the Go-Go's. This Go-Go's was a young male singing group consisting of Jim Infield, Roger York, and Bill Wilde. The single was written by Gary Usher, who was the first outside collaborator with Brian Wilson, co-writing 409 and In My Room for the Beach Boys. Despite this, the single didn't perform well. They released one album, also in 1964 and also on RCA Victor, called Swim with the Go-Go's. They clearly had talent. They even had Al Schmidt producing, a man that won 22 Grammys. Despite this, the album just never took off. Crazily, also in 1964, in the UK, there was another band that called themselves the Go-Go's. That Christmas, they released a novelty single, I'm Gonna Spend My Christmas with a Dalek, capitalizing on the popularity of the BBC series Doctor Who. It's their only known recording. And if he's very nice, I'll feed him sugar spice And hang a Christmas stocking from his big left coat And when we both get up on Christmas morning I'll kiss him on his chrome inflated head And take him in to say hi to Mum And frighten Daddy out of his bed Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Happy Christmas! Happy Christmas! Also happening in 1964 was a new horror-based sitcom on television. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They're all together okay, the Adams family. 
The Addams Family debuted on ABC September 18, 1964. It was based on characters from Charles Adams' cartoons that had first appeared in The New Yorker in 1938. Hollywood has had a strange tradition of similar shows and movies coming out around the same time. Ants and A Bug's Life were released roughly a month apart from each other. Same thing with Deep Impact and Armageddon. And those were just in 1998, but you get the idea. Well, that same kind of thing was happening all the way back in 1964 as well. Six days after The Addams Family premiered, The Munsters debuted on CBS. The show was created by Rocky and Bullwinkle writers Alan Burns and Chris Hayward. Here, Alan Burns talks to the Television Academy about the creation of the Munsters. He and I decided that we really didn't want to stay in the animation business forever. I didn't want to be uh, writing for Moose when I was 45 years old. We came up with an idea to do a series about a family of sort of weird offbeat characters that were loosely based, in our minds, on the Charles Adams cartoons that used to be in The New Yorker, the very strange-looking husband and wife. And we thought that would make an interesting kind of family comedy show. The Munster family consisted of Herman, who was kind of a Frankenstein's monster head of the household, his vampire wife Lily, the retired vampire grandpa, their pointy-eared werewolf son Eddie, and their teenage niece Marilyn, who was the family outcast due to her good looks. Here... From the History Channel's documentary about the Munsters, TV critic Matt Rausch explains the family's relationship with Marilyn. The Munsters felt they were the most normal family around, and the one that they kind of took pity on was pretty Marilyn, who seemed like a grotesque mutant in this family. Before we say goodnight, wouldn't you like to come in for a minute? Mm-hmm. And meet my folks. <laughs> They're standing real close, Lily. Uh, you know, this is the fourth date she's had with that young man. Yes, it's amazing how some boys will overlook a girl's appearance. It wasn't just the cast who were the stars of the show. The Munster Mansion, located on the fictitious 1313 Mockingbird Lane, was in reality on the Universal Studios backlot, and it could be seen on the studio tour. It became one of the top attractions of the tour. The house had originally been built in 1946 for a film called So Goes My Love, starring Don Amici. The house still stands today on the Universal backlot, though it's been renovated several times, and most recently appeared on Desperate Housewives. There was also the Munster Coach, which was the family car, created in real life by Hollywood custom car designer George Barris. Here's Barris talking a little more about the Munster Coach on Car Crazy. Well, this is probably one of the ultimate famous cars of 1964, was the Munster family. And the Munster coach is really three model T's in one. And it's over 19 feet long, to give you an idea what it is. And uh, has velvet upholstery and cobwebs and net rays. It gives you an idea. Toward the end of season one, Grandpa built his own car, Dragula, which, in 1998, was the inspiration for the Rob Zombie single, Dragula. He even made a music video for the song, but the car in the video more resembled the Munster coach than Dragula. The 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want more Bizarre Albums? Sign up at patreon.com slash bizarre albums for weekly bonus episodes of the new spinoff Bizarre Singles. Focusing on singles, not albums. That's patreon.com slash bizarre albums for bonus episodes and more. The show was intentionally made very lighthearted so to not scare children. And it worked. Kids loved it. Weeks after premiering, The Munsters was in the top 10 rated shows on TV. And with the popularity came merchandise. Puppets, model kits, masks, board games, and even jewelry started popping up in stores. With this onslaught of merchandise, of course there needed to be a Munsters album. And fast. So in 1964, The Munsters was released on Decca Records. I'm Herman Munster. Don't I look frightfully handsome and technicolor? <laughs> the album cover is a picture of the Munsters standing in front of the Munster coach. Somewhat confusingly, it says, The newest teenage singing group, The Munsters, inspired by the TV characters, The Munsters. The album kicks off with The Munster Creed. Turn up this record and turn the lights down. The back of the album reads, As a natural outgrowth of the overwhelming success of this unnatural show, the birth of a new sound in popular music has come to the fore. The innovators are known as the Munsters, an exciting new group chosen because they so startlingly resemble those lovable TV monsters, the Munsters. But then, who wouldn't with those lifelike masks? These whalers are really quite human underneath, and their warm-blooded vocal tones howl up a wild song with skeleton rattles, bats, shrieks, and creaks creating their weird, creepy new monster sound. So at this point, you might be asking, what exactly is this record? The following is taken directly from Bill Kopp's liner notes from the Munster album reissue on Real Gone Music. Producer Joe Hooven had been in the business a long time by the mid-1960s, one of his earliest credits is for co-composing a 1949 B-side for Les Brown and his orchestra. Co-producer Hal Wynn owned a pair of publishing companies, Big Shot and Hot Shot, with Hooven. Neither had much in the way of a rock and roll sensibility, but both had a reasonably good sense of what the kids might like. Cops liner notes go on to say that Hooven and Wynn were impressed with the vocal talents of the Go-Go's and hired them to do the singing on the album, though they're not actually credited anywhere on the original version of the album. Frankenstein had a hot rock 
Aside from the cover photo, the cast of the Munsters does not appear anywhere on the album. All of the singing is done by the Go-Go's. The songs are only credited to vocal group with instrumental accompaniment. probably no surprise that the instrumental accompaniment was, of course, by the Wrecking Crew. Here's Wrecking Crew guitarist Glenn Campbell from the outtakes of the 2015 documentary, The Wrecking Crew. I probably, I don't know, I probably had it in the back of my head to be an artist. Uh, but I, when I, I was making so much money doing studio work, I didn't want to go through that routine of going out and playing gigs for, you know, a hundred a night. You could make that doing a session. And I went out and did some club gigs, but I couldn't, I couldn't make as much doing that as I could doing studio work. And that's why I just said, you know, I don't, I don't really care to be an artist. I'm, I really enjoy hanging around. I was hanging around the greatest musicians in the world. In addition to the Country Music Hall of Famer Campbell on guitar, the Munsters album also had Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Leon Russell on keyboards. Both of them are featured on $1.98 King Size Voodoo Kit. If your sweetie tells you lots of lies, By the way, since this is a Halloween episode, it feels necessary to mention that Leon Russell also played piano on Bobby Boris Pickett's Monster Mash in 1962. Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? It's now the mash. It's now the Monster Mash. The Monster Mash. And it's a graveyard smash. The Wrecking Crew are on full display with the album's three instrumental tracks, Eerie Beach, Down in the Basement, and Vampire Vamp. family car even got its own song, Here Comes the Munster Coach. As I'd said in last week's episode, in the early mid-1960s, westerns were still huge on television. The Munsters were trying to do something different, and that's what TV Monster Show tries to tell the world. But at the same time, like most of the songs on the album, it doesn't really make any specific references to the Munsters. If you like me and you watch TV, you sure be glad to know. If you're tired of the westerns and the new way that way. Watch the super terrifying Everybody's busy dying TV monster show As Cop states in his liner notes, detailed information about the sessions for this record are hard to come by. In an extremely rare 2015 interview with Music for Maniacs blogger Mr. Fab, 
Roger York of the Go-Go's provided just a few details, suggesting that Hooven and Wynn were older and not exactly hip, and claiming that he rewrote and rearranged the songs as much as he was allowed to, though no specific details were given as to which songs. First day on the job My boss said to me Run on over to Herman's place And deliver these groceries And I said Please don't send me to Herman's place The album went out of print soon after its release. In 2018, Real Gone Music reissued the album on CD and in both purple and green colored vinyl. In 2019, they reissued the album again on what realgonemusic.com calls ghoulish gray vinyl, limited to 1,000 copies. One of the stranger things about this record to me is that there is another Munsters album that actually features the cast from the show. At Home with the Munsters was somehow also released in 1964. But that is for another Halloween. Before I wrap up the show, I have to say a huge thank you to Bill Kopp. His liner notes were an immense help for this episode, and not much info is really available out there, so I greatly appreciate his help. Please check out his website, musoscribe.com. And also a huge thanks to Eben Schletter for the Halloweenified version of the theme music. Check out his podcast, Eben Schletter's Fantastical Musicorium, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening to Bizarre Albums. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps people find the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram, at Bizarre Albums, and I'm at Tony Faxton. You can also like Bizarre Albums on Facebook and visit BizarreAlbums.com. And if you still want more Bizarre Albums in your life, sign up for weekly bonus episodes of Bizarre Singles and more at Patreon.com slash Bizarre Albums. And as always, if you know of a Bizarre Album you'd like to hear featured, please tweet the show. I'd love to hear from you. You can even email me at bizarrealbums at gmail.com. My name is Tony Thaxton, and I'll see you next time on Bizarre Albums. Bizarre Albums.